Since the advent of the internet, we have been flooded with constant information. How are we supposed to process it all? Believe it or not, this has happened before in human history. The answer then was commonplacing. What is commonplacing? Is it a good idea to use commonplacing to form our own personal belief system? Today's Differing Things looks at this very important issue. Now for our host, Bill Petrie. The internet flooded the world with information. We were not ready for it. Not really. A constant stream of thoughts, opinions, and ideas, never ending, never abating. There is more content than any individual could consume in a thousand lifetimes. We are at the receiving end of a torrent of information, and the quantity is only increasing. How are we supposed to process it all? How are we supposed to sift through it and find what matters? Unique as the internet is, this is not the first time humanity has had this problem. Believe it or not, the European world was grappling with a similar dilemma not long after a man named Johannes Gutenberg invented the printing press. That press changed the world forever. Up until that point, books had been rare and expensive. With Gutenberg's invention, almost overnight, books became more affordable and accessible. Like a flood, books filled with thoughts, opinions, and ideas were making their way across political and cultural borders. There was more content than any individual could consume. Suddenly, 15th and 16th century Europeans were dealing with questions not so foreign to us today in the 21st century. How are we supposed to process all this information? How are we supposed to sift through it and find what matters? Their answer? Commonplace books. Commonplace books exist for a singular purpose. To collect the good stuff and hang on to it. Like journals, they were originally personal, handwritten undertakings. But unlike journals, the point was to fill them with the thoughts, quotes, and observations of other people. Throughout the ages, some of the greatest figures of history kept commonplace books, from Thomas Jefferson to Francis Bacon and from Walt Whitman to Napoleon Bonaparte. Commonplace books have offered a way for thinkers and dreamers, princes and paupers, to create a personal catalog of the thoughts and phrases that mattered to them. In John Locke's A New Method of Making Commonplace Books, written in 1706, the foreword urges readers to extract only those things which are choice 
and excellent, either for the matter itself or else for the elegancy of the expression. Today, more than 300 years later, commonplace books are anything but extinct. The handwritten kind might not be as commonplace anymore, but you've probably come across some modernized versions of the commonplace book. Take Evernote, for instance, or Tumblr, or Pinterest. Each of these platforms is designed for collecting the bits of the world that matter to us, the bits that we perceive as having merit or significance. And that is the heart and soul of commonplacing, building a perpetually evolving, never-ending repository that grows as we grow and expands the more we interact with the world around us. It is our personal catalog of those things which are choice and excellent. Commonplacing religion, or how not to develop a personal belief system, is what I want to talk about. There is a problem. At its core, commonplacing requires looking at a work and saying, I like this and not that. This is good. That is not for me. And when it comes to things like literature or movies, that is fine and perfectly acceptable. The problem emerges, however, when we take that approach to things like philosophy and religion, crafting a patchwork buffet of disparate worldviews and then trying to make them all work together. For instance, taking elements of communism and elements of capitalism and trying to create a hybrid system. It just doesn't work. We live in such a highly customizable world. Everything can be personalized, edited, and altered to fit our own personal preferences. And the question comes up, why not religion and spirituality also? It happens all the time. We live in such a highly customizable world. Everything can be personalized, edited, and altered to fit our own preferences. So why not our spiritual life also? There are hundreds, probably thousands of religions in the world, and many of them thousands of years old. Why not take the very best that each one has to offer and meld it together into something that works for you? Why not mix and match interesting ideas into your own personal belief system? And I have a one-word answer for you. Because it is impossible. That is why. If the religions of the world were jigsaw puzzles, commonplacing religions 
would be the equivalent of grabbing our favorite pieces from each puzzle and trying to make them all fit together. It will not work. It cannot work. Those pieces are not designed to fit together. And even if we forced them to fit, what would the resulting picture look like? It would be a mess. A total, unintelligible mess. Your thoughts would become contradictory. And your thoughts would be the proverbial, total, unintelligible mess. Let me give you an example. Say you enjoy the Buddhist version of meditation, but you are also a fan of praying to a higher power. Okay, there are a couple of different issues with that. Buddhist meditation is centered around the belief that the universe is an illusion. If you are meditating on your own non-existence, what higher power are you supposed to pray to? How can you merge those two beliefs together? What is the bigger picture? And the answer is, there is not one. And the more puzzle pieces you add, the fuzzier everything gets. The result is a commonplace personal belief system filled with nice-sounding ideas that cannot and will not possibly fit together. And, I might add, they often contradict each other. It is like creating a personal Bible that might take a stab at explaining what to do, but completely flounders when it comes time to explain why it should be done. There is a better way. The book of Proverbs in chapter number 30, verses 5 and 6 states, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add you not unto his words, lest he reprove you, and you be found a liar. The Holy Bible is filled with warnings not to take a piecemeal approach to its instructions. Moses told Israel, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. And the Apostle John warned all those reading the book of Revelation in chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away 
his part from the Book of Life. Why such an emphasis on leaving the Bible unaltered? And the answer is simple. Because if we start treating the Bible like just another source for commonplacing, we lose the bigger picture. We jumble the puzzle pieces. We make it impossible to see what God is really doing. And what God is really doing is absolutely incredible. The Bible talks about a lot of things that only make sense if we treat it like a package deal. It talks about, for instance, your purpose of life in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9. It talks about your reason for existing in Romans chapter 8, in verse 18. It talks about what God expects of you in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where it states, I beseech you or beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Bible shows you what you have to do to have a relationship with God. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Now, in this four simple verses, the Apostle Paul tells us how it is we come into a relationship with God and what it is that we have to believe in order to have that relationship. And it's simple. We simply believe that Christ died for our sins, according to scriptures, that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and simply believing that and trusting that places me into an ear, a, a relationship that can never be destroyed. It places me into a condition whereby I am in Christ and he is in me. 
But if I try to commonplace this, and I take elements of Judaism and Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism, I make this statement of no effect. I make it of no effect because Islam teaches that Jesus Christ never rose from the grave, that he never died, that it was a hoax. Judaism believes that Jesus Christ was a lunatic and his body was stolen. Hinduism and Buddhism both deny the idea of resurrection as they believe in reincarnation. I cannot believe all of those things simultaneously. And I cannot take all aspects of each one of those religions and try to apply it to myself because one will undermine the other. The Bible is important for us to keep as a complete whole entity. The Bible talks about the boundaries that you as an individual and I as an individual need to avoid if we want to live a fulfilling life. Just read 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 22. Talks about the important relationships in your life and how to care for them in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 through 33. The scope of the Bible is bigger than just you, it is bigger than me, it is bigger than even this world. It talks about the world's existence in Genesis 1-1 and why it is the way that it is in Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 25. And it tells us what God plans to do about it in Romans chapter 8 verses 19 through 23. It talks about a plan to end evil and suffering for all time. It is a plan to save every single man, woman, and child, and to bring all who have ever lived into a relationship with our Creator. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 22 through 28, For just as through Adam all die, so also through Christ, all will be made alive again, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruit, then those who are Christ's in his presence, then the end, when he shall have surrendered the sovereignty to God, the Father, when he shall have overthrown all other government, and all other authority and power. For he, speaking of Christ, must be reigning until he should be placing all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy is being abolished, death.
for he will have put all things in subjection under his feet. And when he shall have declared that all things are in subjection, it will be re the revealed exception of him who has humbled them all to subjection to him. But when all has been made subject to him, then the Son himself will also become subject to him who has made the all subject to him in order that God may be all in all. This is the heart of God's plan, that the day will come because of what Jesus Christ accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. The day will come when he indeed is the Savior of all mankind. All will be subject to him so that God is all in all. But no other religion teaches that. No other book teaches that. Only the Bible teaches that. That we have a loving God who created us and loved us so much that he gave his only son to be the perfect sacrifice for sin so that all sin would be covered by his sacrifice. And with the covering of all of that sin, it makes it an inevitable thing that the day will come when all of God's creation is brought back under his authority and that God will at some point have a relationship with every single creature. God may be all in all. That is the bigger picture as painted by the Bible, which was generated and inspired by a God who invites you to test all things, but to hold fast what is good, according to 1 Thessalonians 5.21. But God's belief system is all or nothing. Developing our own commonplace personal belief system is a guaranteed way to assemble a puzzle with pieces that do not fit and a puzzle that does not make sense. The God revealed by the pages of the, of the Bible is either the God of all creation, or he is not. There is no middle ground. There is no room for a third option. You must decide whether the Bible is something you can trust. If the answer is no, then the whole book is a worthless bundle of lies. But if the answer is yes, then the Bible is the word of God inspired and preserved for us throughout all the eons by the God of the universe. It is a direct line of communication from our creator to us. And it is filled with all the answers to life's most important questions.
it is the source of the perfect true belief system. Why would you ever want to commonplace that? Good day and God bless. We want to thank you for listening to this week's Differing Things podcast. If you would like to get more information about the Bible, please check out our website, www.beacon-ministries.org. Do not forget to join us next week for a new Differing Things podcast. Thank you.